This episode of What the Railways Are Doing is from February 1899. Reports have been received from 18 railway companies. My name is Dr. David Robinson, and I will be your host. The first news is from the Caledonian Railway. The permanent low-level station at Glasgow Central is now open, and the temporary station built three years ago has closed. The new building has a frontage of 154 feet to Argyle Street and 123 feet to Hope Street. It is a one-story structure of massive and ornamental design with a huge dome at the corner. Canopies carried on cantilevers overhang the footpath along the whole frontage. Communication with the high-level station is obtained by a passage rising at a slope of 1 in 10. The passage leads to the distribution gangway over the Argyle Street entrance. A glass roof over the whole station admits plenty of light and the appearance is even more brightened by the white brick lining of the walls. A restaurant, 60 feet long, adjoins the distribution hall. Separate entrance and exit stairways, each 19 feet wide, are provided, and the general arrangement of the station seems to indicate that the traffic will be conducted with a minimum of confusion. The Caledonian Railway Company believes that their screw couplings are sufficiently strong to hold the vehicles of a train securely together. The side chains formerly in use upon passenger carriages are now not to be used, but simply hung up at the end of the vehicles. 100 new engines are being built for goods and mineral traffic while also two new third-class picnic saloons with the most modern conveniences and the underframes supported by bogies have just been constructed. Now to the Cambrian Railway. The railway has just issued 1,000-mile and 500-mile tickets for first-class travel. The charge is £5.05 five shillings and £2.17 and six respectively. The tickets are issued in the form of a book of coupons, each coupon representing one mile. These must be exchanged at the booking office at the starting station for a single or return ticket as required by the passenger. The coupons can also be used in part payment for through tickets to other companies' lines. Books of certificates are also issued which authorize the use of the coupon book by the purchaser's family, guests, or employees. The cost of the ticket equates to about tuppence a mile, and the tickets are valid for one year from date of issue. The Cheshire Lines Passengers using or passing through the new Northwich station are admiring the new roof. It makes the interior of the station one of the brightest known. Despite the tremendous gales of the past month, no construction delays were incurred. 
the City and South London Railway. The progress with the Moorgate Street extension has continued uninterrupted during the past six months. Both tunnels are completed from the junction with the present line at the borough under the Thames to Moorgate Street Station, and the three underground stations are almost finished. The shafts are ready for the lifts, and lift installation has begun. The laying of the permanent way is also well advanced, and the subway communication between the Lombard Street station of this company and the bank station of the central London has been constructed. Work will soon begin on the station buildings on the surface at Moorgate Street, Lombard Street and London Bridge. The extension from Stockwell to Clapham Common is progressing very well. The line should be completed and ready for traffic early in the autumn of this year. The erection of the new boiler and engine house at the Stockwell depot is proceeding rapidly and will be ready for the erection of the engines in March. The extension through the heart of the City of London has now been completed. To fully use this valuable portion of the line, the remainder of the authorised undertaking will proceed. The contract for the works will be awarded as soon as favourable arrangements can be made. The company hopes that this portion of the railway will be constructed at a very moderate cost. Furness Railway. General Manager Mr. Aslett has several well-chosen proposals for the improvement of the Furness Railway, but many of them cannot be carried out without parliamentary approval in the coming session. Among the new facilities that are projected are the provision of hotels and coaches by the railway, new and more convenient piers at Waterhead and Bowness on Windermere, and the dredging of the lake around the piers. The working of the curious little Eskdale and Ravensglass railway is also included. The Great Central Railway. The London extension is rapidly approaching completion if the contractors are to be relied upon. If the wind, weather and other circumstances permit, the formal opening will take place shortly. A new station for the joint use of the Great Central and London and North Western Railways will be built in place of the current one in Clegg Street, Oldham. The cost is estimated to be about £25,000 and it will take a year to complete the work. The Great Central Railway. The London extension is rapidly approaching completion if the contractors are to be relied upon. If the wind, weather and other circumstances permit, the formal opening will take place shortly. A new station for the joint use of the Great Central and London and North Western Railways will be built in place of the current one in Clegg Street, Oldham. The cost is estimated to be about £25,000 and it will take a year to complete the work. 
Great Eastern, comparatively few people are aware of the immense goods and mineral traffic conveyed by this railway. The coal traffic that reaches London by the Great Eastern Line via Cambridge is increasing by leaps and bounds. Temple Mill sorting sidings between Lee Bridge and Stratford are amongst the largest around London, and few equal them in the amount of traffic carried. The Great Northern Railway. Last year, a train indicator board was erected at Finsbury Park Station, but the porters at this station appear to be too lazy to properly attend to its working. On many occasions, no board is shown, or worse still, at times a wrong one is displayed. This should not be allowed to happen. On Thursday, January the 19th, the directors received a deputation of eight season ticket holders about chronic overcrowding to which the suburban passengers are daily subjected. A new engine house to hold about 40 engines is being constructed on the upside south of Hornsea Station. The Great North of Scotland Railway. The company has given instructions for 10 new locomotives to be built at their Kitty Brewster Aberdeen works. Also being built is a new third-class saloon for the use of pleasure parties. General Manager Mr. Moffat is evidently determined to make the line bigger and better. Already plans have been prepared and contracts accepted for the construction of a new railway station at Inverurie. The building will be one story in height and 227 feet in length. The Great Western Railway. Last month, the company has entirely remodeled its public timetable book. Upon the cover are views of some of the places of interest served by the line. The type, which is entirely new, is exceedingly clear, and the style of the publication is thoroughly up to date. However, the Great Western is so large a system that the large map provided in the new time book scarcely does credit to the extent of the line. If new, clear, up-to-date sectional maps, somewhat of the style of those formerly inserted in the Great Western Railway timetables, were added, the book would be still further improved. Thermometers are now fitted in all steam-heated trains. One thermometer in the front brake van. This thermometer is taken as a guide to the outside temperature and not as the temperature of the interior of the train. When the thermometer reads 50 degrees Fahrenheit or above, it is not necessary to heat the train by steam. A thermometer is also placed in the first compartment next to the brake van and another in the last compartment next to the rear van. These thermometers are indicated on the outside of the carriages by a brass pinhead on the door frame near the lock and show the temperature inside the train. No steam is sent through the trains when the thermometers in the compartments read over 55 degrees Fahrenheit. 
In no case are the guards to allow the interior temperature of the trains to exceed 60 degrees Fahrenheit. The Lancashire and Yorkshire Railway. About five o'clock on the morning of January 13th, an accident occurred between Haywood and Broadfield stations. A goods train was traveling down the loop line when the driver ran through the buffer stops at the top of a steep decline. As a result, the engine tumbled into the embankment and the wheels became embedded in the soil. Fortunately, the driver and the fireman had miraculous escape and were unhurt. The impact was terrific and several goods wagons were completely wrecked. The London, Brighton and South Coast Railway. The Croydon patrons of this railway are now able to travel from Victoria by the 8.50 p.m. train. On Monday, January 2nd, 1899, the cargo steamer Angers, which sails between New Haven and Dieppe, foundered around midnight. It was close to the end of the western jetty at Dieppe during a violent gale. The vessel was thrown against the jetty, part of which was destroyed, and in consequence, all communication with the shore end of the pier was lost. The 459-ton French-built ship is owned jointly by the London, Brighton, South Coast and the Western of France Railway. She was commanded by Captain Fournier with an all-French crew. The ship attempted to enter the harbour at midnight, but the sea at that time was running very high. It first appeared that the vessel would enter safely, but when it gained the entrance, she turned at right angles to westward and ran clean through the pier, foundering on the westward side. It is thought that the steering gear broke. The London and Northwestern Railway. During a frightful gale on Thursday night, January 12, 1899, a section of the railway between Conway and Penman Moor was the scene of an appalling calamity. The Chester and Holyhead Railway runs alongside the seashore almost the whole distance after passing Flint. The violent lashing of the waves put a tremendous strain upon the wall which protects the railway between Conway and Penman Moor. As a result, the water rushed in upon the railway and washed away the ballast of both the up and down lines for about 70 yards. It left the rails and sleepers without any foundation. As a precaution, the company had stationed two watchmen to patrol the stretch of line in the neighborhood. However, the watchmen saw nothing of the imminent collapse of the wall. As soon as they were aware of the situation and saw that a great portion of the embankment had been swept away, they immediately rushed to give an alarm. One went to Penmanmar, one went to Penmanmar, where he was just in time to stop a Holyhead goods train from starting. The other went to the mouth of the tunnel 
to no avail. There he could hear an express goods train from Manchester to Holyhead coming through the tunnel at 35 miles an hour. He placed detonators on the line and frantically waved his red lamp. He placed detonators on the line and frantically waved his red lamp. The driver did see the signals, but there was not time to stop the train. He applied the brakes, but both the engine and tender went onto the suspended rails. Their heavy weight brought them down, and they toppled headlong over into the sea. The driver and fireman were thrown into the water, and they were drowned almost immediately. There were 13 trucks and vans on the train, loaded with various goods. Eight of these followed the engine into the water, but five stopped short of where the line was demolished. Later, the engine was found at low tide, lying flat on its side. It was partially covered with debris and was being washed by the surf. The tender had crashed down on top of it and was fixed almost at right angles. The machinery of the engine appeared undamaged, but some of the trucks were smashed and splintered. They were lying in a confused heap of wreckage. The covered van had been shattered to pieces, exposing its content of hampers and boxes. Some of the fish vans clung to the suspended rails, which had not given away. On Sunday, January 22nd, a large breakdown gang with the necessary equipment succeeded in raising the locomotive and wagons. The engine, which had been damaged both in falling and by the action of the waves, was taken to crew for repairs. One or two of the wagons, which fell, contained barrels of beer, and these, curiously enough, were found intact. On the afternoon of Sunday, January 8th, about 40 feet of the long bridge running from Crew Railway Station into the company's works gave way, falling with a great crash onto the Holyhead main line. Several wagons on the rails underneath were crushed, the permanent way was greatly damaged, signals smashed, and the line blocked. The huge iron pillars which suspended the bridge appear to have snapped at their foundations. No one was injured, but rail traffic was delayed due to the destruction of signal posts and signals. The London and South Western Railway. To attract traffic to its competitive stretches, the company is widening the main line between Basingstoke and Winchfield. The work is being rapidly pushed forward. This is the second section of the widening between Woking and Basingstoke. It's proposed to lay down two more lines and remodel and extend the stations. The first section between Sturt Lane and Farnborough is practically finished. The tramcar system of paying for journeys has been adopted on the trains of the Waterloo and City Railway. The fares and tickets are now being collected on the trains. Passengers are requested to have the exact amount of the fare or their tickets ready. They are also asked to see that the tickets are punched in their presence and handed to them in exchange for each fare paid. 
Early on Saturday morning, January 21st, an accident happened on the new Meehan Valley Railway at Privet, resulting in the burying of two men working for the contractor. They were engaged in digging a shaft hole for a tunnel 40 feet deep and 12 feet square. Without warning, the sides fell in. Large gangs were set to work to dig them out, and one man was reached two days later. He stated that his fellow worker who was buried with him died the day of the accident. At the time of the collapse, he said he fortunately escaped injury from the falls of earth. On the Saturday, he heard his rescuers above, and he succeeded in climbing up some cross pieces of timber to a height of about 20 feet. When the rescuers reached him, he was uninjured, although he was suffering from exhaustion after his 53 hours ordeal. The Midland Railway. The Midland Railway has ordered 10 locomotives from each of two American firms. They are mogul engines with 18-inch diameter cylinders and 24 inches of stroke. The driving wheels are 5 foot 2 inches in diameter and the total weight of each engine is 41 tons. As might be expected, the engineering journals in the United States are jubilant at this capture of British trade. The new Shirebrook curve connecting the Midland Railway with the Lancashire, Derbyshire and East Coast Railway will be open for traffic on Monday, March 20th. Commencing on that date, through Midland passenger trains will be run between Mansfield and Edwinstow, which will place the towns of Nottingham, Derby, Birmingham, Burton, Leicester and others in direct communication with Edwinstow and will afford additional facilities for visitors to the Sherwood Forest and the Dukeries district. The Northeastern Railway. Second class carriages are to be abolished on March 31st on the Newcastle, North and South Shield and Sunderland branches of the railway the only lines of the company on which second class still exists. This decision is unfortunate, seeing that some of those branches have greatly increased the number of second class passengers. Some of the current second class passengers will now have to travel third class. They may be reluctant to share carriages with colliers, dock workers and other laborers who already travel third class. The Northeastern Railway is trying out a new system for providing a means for passengers to stop the trains in cases of emergency. This system allows the release of air from the Westinghouse brake pipes, causing a whistle under the carriage to blow. The guard is then able to locate the compartment from which the alarm was called. Only the guard, by means of a key, can restore the handle of the lever to its normal position. A special train fitted with this apparatus was run from York to Scarborough and back on January 19th, and the result was very successful. Eleven emergency stops were made by means of the appliance, and the train, 
which was traveling at speeds varying from 35 to 50 miles an hour, was stopped each time within a distance between 600 and 1,200 feet. The North Staffordshire Railway. In connection with the under construction extension of the North Staffordshire Railway from Leek to Waterhouses, arrangements already concluded for working the narrow gauge Leek and Manifold Valley Light Railway. The company will undertake to work and maintain the narrow gauge line in perpetuity, receiving 55% of the gross revenues. The Southeastern and Chatham and Dover Railway. As reported in January, the joint working of these two railways is now in operation, and the companies are doing their best to efficiently serve the public while to also affect economies in the services. The printing of the timetables at the works of the Chatham Railway at Victoria will be another step in this direction when the present contract expires. The rough weather of the past month has provided opportunities for the whole of the continental traffic to be worked from Folkestone. Originally, the London Chatham and Dover trains ran to Dover and then over the Southeastern Railway back to Folkestone, but later they were run via the London Chatham and Dover to Ashford and then direct to Folkestone over the Southeastern Main Line. Already the London, Chatham and Dover stations at Sevenoaks and Ashford has been closed. It has been suggested that while a new joint station is being built at Dover, the present southeastern town station should be closed, and the trains of both companies run to and from the Dover Harbour station. When the new services are further consolidated, the trains are likely to run faster and express trains will run over the southeastern system. A contract has been signed between the Southeastern Railway and the Spears and Pond Catering Firm to supply refreshments at all the stations along the line. The stations will include London Bridge, Hastings, Dover, Folkestone, Margate, Canterbury and others. In this connection, special attention will be paid to lunch and tea baskets, and also the daily supply of fresh bread and pastry, which will be sent down the line by the newspaper trains. You have been listening to a podcast produced and presented by Podcasting Net. If you enjoyed this program, please tell your friends and check back for future episodes. Thank you.